let's begin with your secret. Uh, nobody has heard this, right? I'm I'm going to be the first reporter you tell, right? Exactly. I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What is your secret? Uh, so we're announcing a, the de-stealthing of a, a company called Satellite Bio. Dr. Ling Wong of Lightspeed Ventures. Um, and it's in a space that uh, has been transformed, we believe has been transformed and pioneers a, a new way to think about regenerative medicine. Lightspeed, along with two other venture partners, invested $110 million in seed and Series A into Satellite Bio, but waited until now to announce it. Tell me about that first meeting. Who came to who and what did you think? Yeah, so the first meeting, actually, uh, the story goes back about 20 years. So both Sangeeta Bhatia and I um, had trained um, in a similar uh, lab in Boston about 20 years ago. Let me break in here. When people say they were in Boston, that's usually code for they went to Harvard or MIT. They're just being polite and not showing off. In Ling's case, she went to MIT and Harvard for her doctorate. So I'm trained as a chemical engineer and a biologist, um, and Sangeet is uh, a world-renowned investigator in the in the space of the liver. And what was interesting and what why this moment was quite powerful was the idea of taking a technology like the like a liver transplant and finding a way to make it deliverable to a large scale of of number of people. How is the decision made to, to put a company in stealth or keep it in stealth? And, and who makes that decision? You as the investor or the company, or how does that work? Yeah, it's a great question. And a lot of times when a company's in stealth, the reason we, we do that in the earliest days is we're trying to make sure we have all the right components to build a company. It, it is complicated, right? You have to have great science you need to have great investors. You have to. You want to put together a very important and powerful data package to show to the world the power of a new technology, especially when we're trying to create a new frontier in a space that has has desperately and, and been looking for solutions. And so, in many ways, the ability to then build that team takes time, and we want to have the company 
put all those components together. So when they, when like in a moment like this, where we get to, to show the world, we get to show the world, the data, the technology, the people around it, and that the financial support is there. And so I think of it as a, it's a team effort in, um, in deciding if and when to, to share the company with the world. And now that you're announcing this company, uh, I don't have the biological background to understand the overall technology and what it's going to do. But give me give me a thought as somebody who does understand the biology, how, pe- how you expect people are going to react with this news. So I think uh, two parts uh, will be really exciting and interesting. I mean, this idea of satellite bio, it's forging a new path for pioneering regenerative medicine. And so it's actually creating a way uh, to de- develop a modality, which we're calling tissue therapeutics. And in, in what we do is actually we're able to take pro- and program cells. You assemble them into what we're calling a satellite. Think of it like the size of a, a small little hockey puck, the size of your palm. And inside of the satellite, it has, for example, in this case, liver cells and the cells necessary in order to help the body either restore, repair, or replace a dysfunctional tissue or organ. So walk me through a, a hockey puck. Uh, what is it? Is it, is there a battery inside? What is it doing? Do you sew it into the patient? I mean, give me the, give me the gritty details here. So the, the way to think about this, um, a very basic, uh, the most fundamental way to think about this is think about, um, a hockey, about a hockey puck size, um, disc. And inside this disc are what we call these micro channels and these small channels. And inside the channels, you can see all types of different cells in this case. And in the first application for satellite bio, we're focused in the liver. And the idea being that basically we can engraft and we can seed what we're calling the liver cells, hepatocytes into this uh, hockey like puck. And the nice part is you could then deliver this by um, by delivering this and, and having it sit right on top of your existing liver. And this process would, you know, typical uh, transplant might take is, are quite complicated. In this particular case, um, the process that we've developed, you actually could do this as an outdate procedure. And the ability to provide, you know, a supplanted component to your liver, do it as an outdate procedure and um, and delivery the function you need is incredibly powerful. We've all had that secret that you know we're excited to share to the world and and uh, and 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 see people's reactions. Uh, what is the average physician going to think of this? So interestingly, well, what, in part of our process, we actually went to physicians who are in the space of regenerative medicine, and in the early days, you know, a lot of times the conversation was well can it be done? What would it look like? And, and of course and you knew it I, could be because you've seen it. <laughs> we've seen it. Well, how would it work? You know, what is the procedure like? And so, and, and the interesting part is we do, uh, we do provide and we do do transplants on a daily basis. Now, unfortunately, what happens is we don't have enough um, organs for everyone who's on a transplant list. And so what's interesting with our investigators and and scientists in the ecosystem, it's the opportunity that potentially we could have people not have to get onto a list because we can provide an intervention or a solution to them and their families that isn't just, just wait and see, we're going to get you on this list and we hope something happens. 
So the power of being able to do something, I think, you know, the Hippocratic Oath for a lot of physicians, it's, it's this idea of saying, what can I do? What, what solution can I provide you in, in the meantime? Um, that, that's the power, I think, that's, that's captured people's imagination and the potential to, to deliver care is, um, to those who need it. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. .edu slash podcast. There, there's so much exciting progress underway in medicine. Scientific development, you know, tends to generally build fairly slowly. It builds on itself. A, a microscope becomes a better microscope. But then every once in a while, there's this giant leap forward, uh, the mapping of the human genome, that kind of thing, where all of the sudden, out of nowhere, although it took a lot of work to get there, but out of seemingly nowhere, um, unimaginable things become possible. And, and as far as an investor and a venture capitalist, it seems like health is the obvious place to be. I, I would, could not agree with you more, Scott, from that perspective. Uh, I actually think, um, there's a, there's a phrase that I, I've been using as a trained as a scientist, but really thinking about uh, this concept of an uh, engineered biology. So it's this intersection that's happening between us being able to use engineering, which is built in a structured way to scale alongside all the biological systems in our body and, and broadly that are necessary and that can be built. And what I think you're seeing, this intersection point of the technologies and the ideas are coming out in this engineered biology space are basically being built in a structural way where these discoveries can happen and they can be built to scale immediately. I think that's really a powerful place to sit. Um, it's why actually I'm very excited about investing at this period of time. Um, I consider this period of time almost like a renaissance in science. You're a scientist by training. Uh, you actually invented a vaccine. Have I got that right? <laughs> I did. I, I was a, helped create the inhaled tuberculosis vaccine. Now, the, as the inventor of a vaccine, these last couple of years must have been incredibly frustrating for you. You know, um, it actually wasn't in incredibly frustrating. If anything, it was actually the opposite. In many ways, a lot of times we take vaccines for granted and, um, you know, it unfortunately it takes a a, a situation, a global pandemic, for people to start to want to talk about a vaccine. And I mean, I don't know about you, but two years ago, did people ask you, did you get a Pfizer or Moderna vaccine? Probably not. People probably we didn't talk about 
who made our vaccine, what a vaccine. Oh, that's true for, for yeah, shingles or whatnot. It's not something people are discussing. (laughs) Exactly. But what's fascinating now is it's actually part of our lingo. People are asking, Hey, did you get vaccinated? Oh, Hey, I just got vaccinated. And so on some level, um, and then awareness of the needs and the power of a vaccine, I think has been a, you know, yes, it's been a very, very difficult time, but also now in a, a much deeper awareness in the ecosystem and us being willing to talk about this, you know, similarly with talking about a diagnostic, that that's not something we talked about. You you didn't talk about going home and doing a diagnostic test. You probably didn't share that to the world, but people do that now on a regular basis. And um, I think uh, awareness in that space and awareness for how we think about this, I think is just as important for, for us to continue to, like, like I said earlier, this drumbeat of building healthcare and building health as part of our daily life. How does a scientist get involved in venture capital? You know, that's a great question. What I believe is happening in the venture ecosystem is that there is an evolution of, of specialized expertise that are that is happening. And you need individuals who have come from the various respective backgrounds to help and start to foster and understand in that space what's emerging that could actually develop and become a a large, uh, I call it transformative company. And so I do think as the venture ecosystem, as we're, you know, frankly, it starts, you know, a lot of times we've called it a smaller boutique ecosystem, you know, venture capital now has grown enormously and and dramatically in many different sectors, areas, and and spaces. Having that specialization to be able to identify partner and and serve as a great um, mentor with founders we work with, um, especially on the biotech and scientific companies, you, you need to have that perspective and background. And I frankly, I think it differentiates the ability to partner with founders as they're building these large companies. I've been struck by that as well. I mean, it's one thing to walk into a garage in Los Altos and, and talk to a bunch of guys who are going to put a computer in every home and quite another to understand quantum computing. Uh, there, there has been this need for expertise uh, from industry as far as venture capital goes. I couldn't agree more. And I actually do believe even that intersection point of where software is integrating into the world of biotech and and healthcare, that intersection is also happening. So you also, if you think about the founding teams of these companies too, they are evolving. You've got a scientist, a lot of times you have a technologist or someone on the software side, and you have a business model, uh, a business person involved in in these founding teams. So on some level, what it takes to build these companies are also evolving and changing. And I think for, for the better. Speaking about you in particular, what got you out of the lab and and into the boardroom? So in in many ways, in uh, my early training at at the Langer Lab, uh, the Langer Lab is in a really interesting, diverse place. Um, And it's a place where the the common uh, mind speak and thinking is always, we develop a technology, but for what purpose and for whom or how are you serving? So I think in many ways, that perspective of creating technology for the greater purpose was a very dramatic driving factor in in my transition. So obviously having the scientific training as the fundamental backbone, but really saying, well, what does it take to then 
get this technology out to the ecosystem, out to the world? What is the business model that we need? What, what's the team we need to build around that? How do we then build the right approval and regulatory processes to make that happen? So I think the transition to the boardroom was a very natural one to say, if we do want to get this out there, we need capital, we need great people, we need great technology, we got to put it all together. What caught you most off guard making the transition from laboratory to venture capital firm? I think a lot of times as scientists, the, the, the biggest thing we think about is obviously show me the data, right? The data is the most important thing. If the data tells you this, this is what happens. I think what's interesting about venture capital and also what's interesting about the sector uh, companies aren't just data. Companies are people. Companies are the market, the people, and the technology. So it's the combination of all three that you need to look for and find at all times. And when you do find all three and they're humming together, it's perfection. But um, I think that lesson of as much focusing on founders and, and what the team is like is just as important as the technology. Dr. Ling Wong, advisor at Lightspeed Venture Partners on her investment in satellite bio just out of stealth. Sandhill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.